Yesterday marked the one year since the first COVID-19 vaccines were administered. We all believed and hoped that a year later we would be nearing the end of the pandemic. Instead, the world remains in its grip. Welcome to Radio Davos, the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might solve them. On this episode, the last of 2021, we look back over the global news events that affected all of us. Let's go, hey, let's go, let's go. From the streets of Washington. Are, are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. I think we should have gone on in and yanked the, our senators out by the hair of the head and drug them out and said, no more. <laughs> to the streets of Kabul. The female, the women can continue their life. They can go to the school. They can continue their education, but with Islamic hijab. So like I'm wearing. Not like you. To a giant conference hall in Glasgow. We can say with credibility that we have kept 1.5 degrees within reach, but its pulse is weak. Subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review and join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Palmer at the World Economic Forum. Join me and CNN news anchor Eleni Jokos as we look back on the news stories that made 2021. I would say it's going to be about COVID. There's no way that it's not about COVID. This is Radio Davos. Welcome back to Radio Davos after a few weeks off due to, I'm afraid, COVID-19. This episode is our last of the year and I'll be joined in a moment by CNN's Dubai-based anchor Eleni Jokos to look back on some of the big news stories of 2021. Before that, I wanted to tell you about two brand new podcasts that we've just launched. They're both available now wherever you get your podcasts and you can also find them at the homepage wef.ch slash podcasts and Everything about them is available on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. The first of these two new podcasts is Stakeholder Capitalism. It's a five-part video podcast that picks up on the themes of the book by World Economic Forum founder and executive chairman Klaus Schwab that looks at how economies could work better tackling major problems such as inequality and environmental destruction. The first episode of Stakeholder Capitalism looks at the way we measure economic growth and how we might go beyond GDP, something that New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is already experimenting with. In New Zealand, we're roughly projecting 3% um, growth. Our unemployment's at 3.9% on traditional measures, budget surpluses. People would look at us and go, you're doing okay. But we have homelessness at staggering rates, one of the highest rates of youth suicide in the OECD. So our plan is through the wellbeing work that we're doing, a living standards framework to address the societal wellbeing of our nation, not just our economic wellbeing. That's Stakeholder Capitalism, a five-part mini-series. The first episode is available now. You'll be able to watch it as well as hear it. It's a multimedia spectacular with graphics, uh, animated graphics, explaining some of the key points, the challenges posed by capitalism and globalization. The second new podcast we launched this week is Book Club, hosted by my colleague Beatrice Di Caro, who founded the World Economic Forum Book Club as a group on Facebook a few years ago. It now has 200,000 members engaged in lively discussions about what they like to read, and they put questions to their favorite authors via Beatrice. Beatrice is now bringing this to life as a podcast, and you can expect to hear interviews with some of the world's best thinkers and writers in the weeks and months ahead. The first episode, Out Now, features organisational psychologist and podcaster Adam Grant. 
A very popular question from our book club members, actually, who devour your book list recommendations was, what books would you recommend if you have a top three? Are there any authors that you're particularly following? I know it's a tough question, but our readers would love to know. This is like asking me to choose my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really hard. But uh, l- l- let me start by saying, if you haven't already, drop what you're doing and read High Conflict by Amanda Ripley. It's a book about something I've experienced over and over in my life, which is uh, I think somebody is wrong. And so I go into logic bully mode and hammer them with data and facts. And I've brought my best prosecuting attorney to the interaction and they show up with their most stubborn defense attorney and neither of us gets anywhere and the conflict spirals out of control. I thought Amanda did a brilliant job explaining why we get trapped in conflict spirals and then using science and great storytelling to maybe give you some ideas about how to escape them or avoid them in the first place. Uh, so that's one favourite. Don't be a logic bully. That's Adam Grant, the first guest on our new podcast called Book Club. Look out also for the brilliant Elif Shafak, author of one of my favourite reads of the year, The Forty Rules of Love, which brings the story of the 13th century Persian poet Rumi alive for the 21st century reader. Yes, book club's going to be that eclectic. Talking of books, before we delve into this episode of Radio Davos, another shout out for our other podcast, which is, of course, Meet the Leader, where Linda Lucina this week has put together quotes from some of the interviews she's done through the year with uh, leaders from corporations, but also academia. They are doing their own book recommendations. So if you're looking for holiday gifts and you want to buy people books, check out Meet the Leader as well as Book Club. Anyway, find all of those podcasts wherever you get your podcasts, also on our homepage, wf.ch slash podcasts, and at the Podcast Club on Facebook. In the meantime, here's the very last Radio Davos of 2021. To look back on 2021, I'm joined once again by Eleni Jokos, who's the CNN anchor and correspondent based in Dubai. Eleni, how are you? Hi, Robin. Good to be back. How has 2021 been for you? Well, you know, it's, it's ups and downs. Um, so you, we last saw each other a year ago yeah. when we did the year in review. And it was all about, well, it wasn't all about, but it was dominated, of course, by COVID. 2020 was the year covid 19, the term was coined because the virus existed obviously in 2019. That's why it's called COVID 19, but it wasn't named until well into 2020. And we didn't realize we had a pandemic till well into 2020. And I don't think we'd have thought we'd still be talking about it at the end of 2021, but here we are. And we were feeling pretty optimistic end of last year that perhaps, you know, with a vaccine rollout and back then it was sort of imminent that things would change. And I think we had so much hope um, and we saw signs of recovery and, you know, things kind of got back to normal. And here we are <laughs> with more travel bans with the new variant and pretty much still in the thick of things. Yeah, and I'm I'm just recovering from COVID nineteen myself. Um, if uh, my voice still sounds a, a little bit hoarse, I lost my voice completely for a week. Yeah. That's why there've been no Radio Davos episodes for the last couple of weeks. And you yourself are stuck in quarantine, having you were trying to get from South Africa 
um, the new variant appeared and you're trying to get back to Dubai where you're an anchor for CNN. And, Is that yeah, right? exactly. Let me tell you, trying to get out of a red list country and finding a route back home, finding a country, by the way, that wants to take you back is difficult. And what saved us, uh, my husband and my child as well as with me, um, is our EU passports. And we were able to repatriate to Greece where we're in quarantine for 10 days and we have to spend another four days before uh, Dubai will take us back. And I, I think that that was one of the biggest themes, right? Uh, this variant that was discovered, red list countries, Omicron already spreading around the world and these travel bans, what it means for the airline industry, what it means for tourism, what it means for economic recovery. Yeah, there's a lot of questions, I think, coming up in the next few weeks. We're going to pick a handful of news stories from 2021 for this episode of Radio Davos. I just want to say from the outset, this isn't all the global news stories by any means. I've plucked a few that I just thought would be interesting to talk about. Also, CNN has kindly given me permission to play some clips from CNN news reports from around the world. So we'll be hearing some of those. So this is in no way meant to be a comprehensive kind of catalogue of what happened this year. There were tons of other news stories, some very big stories. We can't touch on them all. We're going to touch on literally a handful, four or five stories. And the first one, let's face it, is going to be COVID-19. Let's start with the good news from 2021 is that we have vaccines and we've had them for more than a year now. This is the Director General of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, speaking a few days ago. Yesterday marked the one year since the first COVID-19 vaccines were administered. We all believed and hoped that a year later we would be nearing the end of the pandemic. Instead, the death toll has more than tripled and the world remains in its grip. So that was the good news, saying that we've had, it was a year since the vaccine was created and it's been rolling out, but then very quickly, the bad news. We're still in the grip. Um, let's hear him again. This is Dr. Tedros again, speaking about the new variant. This was in uh, July. He was talking about this new variant that was scaring the world, but it wasn't Omicron. The Delta variant is ripping around the world at a scorching pace, driving a new spike in cases and death. Delta is now in more than 104 countries, and we expect it to soon be the dominant COVID-19 strain circulating worldwide. The world is watching in real time as the COVID-19 virus continues to change and become more transmissible. It was Delta. You speak. Uh, you speak Greek, Eleni. So, <laughs> I do. Which, which is the next letter? <laughs> What's after Omicron in, in the Greek alphabet? So after Omicron is Pi or P uh, in Greek. You probably go with your pronunciation rather than the Greek pronunciation. I think they they don't go with every single letter no, though either, don't. do they? Actually, I think they, they, s- they only pick ones that aren't going to you know be confused with anything yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. Well, they missed me, which was interesting, and they went straight to Omicron. Um, but yes, we're hoping we're going to get to Omega, and that it'll be the end of it, right? It, it will end with. I the hope alphabet. we won't get to Omega. Well, so, I mean, I think that. Yeah. Let me tell you why this is a risk. And hearing Dr. Tedros talking about vaccines. The other big story that is playing out in tandem with vaccine rollouts and while the world is talking about, you know, booster shots, so the third vaccine in Europe and the US and developed and wealthier economies, Africa still hasn't even 
uh, administered the first jab. And if you have a huge part of the world's population that is significant, that uh, is not being vaccinated, that is a breeding ground for more variants. Mm. And you've got 7% of Africa currently vaccinated. 7% of over 1 billion people have been vaccinated. And Robin, I think that that, as long as that is still a, a reality, we have an issue. Um, and it's no surprise that Omicron has been, uh, you know, the new variant. The question is, I guess now we still don't know how serious it's going to be. We know it's more transmissible, but so many questions, right? Yeah, exactly. 7% of more than a billion people in Africa have had one shot. Maybe some of those will have had a second dose. Yeah, it's it's not enough, is it? Let's hear one more um, clip from Dr. Tedros, the head of the World Health Organization. He just sounds a bit angry here. And I'm sorry, sorry to say it, but if solidarity is not working, if there is one one word that can explain it, I'm sorry to say this, but I think anybody can see that. It's greed. We shouldn't need another wake-up call. We should all be wide awake to the threat of this virus. But Omicron's very emergence is another reminder that although many of us might think we're done with COVID-19, it's not done with us. Okay, let's put COVID aside for a moment. That's the big story of last year, of this year. Unfortunately, it's going to carry on being a big story next year. Let's rewind then right back to the start of 2021. I don't know where you were on um, January the 6th. I was glued to my TV watching. I was flicking actually between CNN, Fox News, BBC. This was quite an event in Washington, D.C., wasn't it? I was so shocked. And I had seen something on Twitter and I quickly turned on my TV and I thought, this is a country, this is a city, this is the capital that is sort of the bastion of democracy. And then we, we, we saw these images and thought, what is going on? And it was pretty shocking that it was playing out. And I think it shocked the United States as much as it shocked the rest of the world. Well, this is CNN footage of a moment when protesters break through police lines on the steps of the Capitol building. So these were protesters. Um, they were at the Donald Trump rally, and he encouraged them to march to the Congress. I won't go any further on what exactly Donald Trump, who was still president at the time, but who had lost the election, but denied losing the election, claiming it was stolen. This is a clip, again, from CNN, where you had a reporter just outside the Capitol building, getting what we call a vox pop, just going around getting the opinions of people there. And he talked to someone, she looked like a nice kind of middle-aged lady in an anorak and a woolly hat. Are, are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. I think we should have gone on in and yanked the, our senators out by the hair of the head and drug them out and said, no more. <laughs> is, is this really a, a way that a president should be behaving? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. yes. It's time yeah, that they clear way. out the swamp. We're paying for to have them cheat and steal from us constantly. That's right. We're over it. No and, more. And we're peaceful. Peaceful. So that was a peaceful protest. I mean, absolutely astonishing. That's one of those news stories that won't just I won't just remember from this year. I think that's one, maybe not a JFK moment or a 9-11 moment, but really it's one of those times where you'll remember being 
glued to CNN or whatever live news channel it, you were watching it on at the time. Exactly. And what was also shocking at the time was that Donald Trump refused to get people to stop uh, using social media and thing. And I think that's when Donald Trump was actually banned from Twitter. I think they, they cancelled his account over that time. Yeah, there's so many interesting strands to it. So that story will continue because there are legal cases. But beyond that, there's also where does the Republican Party go now? It matters to everyone, really, what happens in at the top levels of US politics. But the other strand of it that's so fascinating is the social media um, side of things and the way that social media has polarized societies right around the world. And I think that is something, it's something that we'll definitely be coming back to on Radio Davos in the coming weeks. And it's something that's just not going to go away, the massive impact of social media on societies, societies that are have a long history of democracy and societies that don't. Let's move on. Sport. I asked you at the end of last year's roundup, I asked you, Eleni, what you thought might be the most Googled things of the year. I had a look at it this year. And I decided not to bother asking you that because all five are sport. Actually, I'll read them out to you. Number one was Australia versus India. I'm guessing that's cricket. Those are the most then it's Google India things versus England. this year, really? Sport. Yeah, these are the most Google things wow. this year. India versus England. India being a massive country. Google's not available in China. It's definitely skewed towards India and not China. Um, IPL, which as we discovered last year, uh, those of us who, who aren't particularly into Indian cricket, that's the Indian Premier League. NBA, that's the US Basketball League. And then Euro 2021 is number five. That's according to Google's own figures as of yesterday. Euro 2021, interestingly, because actually it wasn't Euro 2021 at all. It was Euro 2020, but it had been delayed for a year, as was the world's greatest sporting event, the Olympic Games. That was meant to happen in 2020 as well. And we didn't believe it would happen until it actually began. And this is CNN reporting on the 8th of July, just a couple of weeks before the Games began. And you can hear in the voices of your colleagues here, they're not sure it's going to go ahead at all. Organisers will hold Olympic events in Tokyo without spectators, a move they say was a heavy decision. This comes shortly after the Japanese Prime Minister placed Tokyo under its fourth state of emergency due to a spike in COVID cases. Well, our correspondent Selena Wang joins us now from Tokyo for more on all of this. Unbelievable situation where you've got the Olympics proceeding in the midst of a global pandemic under a state of emergency and now with no fans. Linda, exactly. These games are unprecedented in so many ways from the litany of COVID restrictions and now no spectators in the capital of Tokyo. But honestly, Linda, this decision comes as a huge relief to much of the public here and public health experts who for months have been saying that if these games are going to go ahead at all, they should be held without any spectators. But the games did go ahead. It was a fantastic event. No spectators. Quite odd. When we were reporting on it, it was so many beautiful moments when people were able to compete without spectators and it was still exciting. It was just really fast. It was just a different type of Olympics. And then when, uh, you know, we spoke to some of the athletes that weren't able to compete and just they share an utter heartbreak and the fact that they'd have to wait another few years before they could even consider um, competing again, I think it just shows the extent of the pandemic um, and how, you know, the show must go on. So the Olympic Games did continue, um, but yet it came at the expense of so many people that lost the opportunity to compete. And I thought it was interesting contrast between joyful moments and truly heartbreaking moments as well. Sport, 
for many people is this soothing balm. You know, it's it shows in some ways can show humanity at its best. I, for me, as a as a Brit, as an English person, um, I'll certainly remember Emma Raducanu's winning the U.S. Tennis Open. That was in September. I mean, I honestly felt look how great human beings can be because when you're involved in news, it's usually how awful human beings are. And of course, the Euro 2020, although people were Googling it as Euro 2021, England were in the finals and we were denied at the last moment by Italy. Well done to Italy. Deserved winners, I thought, but that's that was my opinion. Um, anyway, if we move away from sport, let's get back onto the hard news then. In August, as the Olympic Games were underway, Western forces quit Afghanistan just weeks ahead of what was the 20th anniversary of the September the 11th, 2001 attacks on the United States, which spurred the US-led invasion. This is a report from CNN's Clarissa Ward, who was in Kabul on August the 17th. As soon as we leave our compound, it's clear who is now in charge. Taliban fighters have flooded the capital. Smiling and victorious, they took this city of six million people in a matter of hours, barely firing a shot. This is a sight I honestly thought I would never see. Scores of Taliban fighters and just behind us, the U.S. Embassy compound. Some carry American weapons. They tell us they're here to maintain law and order. Everything is under control. Everything will be fine, the commander says. Nobody should worry. What's your message to America right now? America already spent enough time in Afghanistan. They need to leave, he tells us. They already lost lots of lives and lots of money. chanting death to America, but they seem friendly at the same time. It's utterly bizarre. I was anchoring uh, a lot of the shows on CNN uh, during those those weeks. We were told, watch the Taliban press conference that CNN is going to stream live. And I sat in the newsroom and I thought it was such a surreal moment to see a Taliban press conference being streamed to the world. That's when I realized that the Taliban would take over, truly take over. And it was it was an important moment because in a way, by all the news networks streaming the, the Taliban press conference, in, of course, an effort to try and understand what they were about, what their next moves would be, it also in a way legitimized them in, in an interesting way. Um, and then the stories just, the story started evolving. And then, you know, we, as we were covering how people were desperately trying to find a way out, uh, it was heartbreaking. It was ve- it was a very difficult time uh, for our journalists that were on the ground, and we had huge teams there because the question was how would we get them out eventually as well. So there were a lot of things playing out in the background um, over that time for I think a lot of news networks. Well, let's hear a little bit more from Clarissa Ward in in Kabul. Here she is. If you see the video of this, which is you can find on CNN's website or on CNN's YouTube site, here she is. She's wearing a chador, a full-length black cloak, with just her face visible, not any of her hair, all her hair's tucked away. And she's surrounded by Taliban fighters who are being quite civil with her, you know, but she's standing her ground against a bunch of young men with bushy beards, 
and Kalashnikovs, each of them. And she's asking, you know, what's life going to be like under the Taliban for women? But the welcoming spirit only extends so far, and my presence soon creates tension. They've just told me to stand to the side because I'm a woman. How will you protect women? Because many women are afraid they will not be allowed to go to school, they will not be allowed to work. Uh, the, the female, the woman, uh, can uh, continue their life as, uh, and we will not say anything for them. They can go to the school, they can continue their education but with Islamic hijab. So like I'm wearing? Uh, not like you, but uh, covering their faces as well. So cover the hijab. face? Yeah. So you mean niqab? Yeah. Niqab. Why do they have to cover their face? Because that is in our Islam. Is it in Islam, though, that you of have course, to wear a niqab? Of course. Of course, it is in Islam. So from the dusty streets of Kabul in summer to a damp and chilly Glasgow in autumn, the scene of another international gathering, which like the Olympics and the Euro Soccer Championship, was delayed by a year, by the pandemic. It was COP26, the Conference of the Parties, the 26th one of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Let's hear a bit of that. I think today we can say with credibility that we have kept 1.5 degrees within reach, but its pulse is weak. Alok Sharma, the British politician who chaired COP26, it was hardly a cry of victory from him at the end of a conference that had been billed as our last best chance to avert climate catastrophe. We've got to halve greenhouse gas emissions by the end of this decade. We've got to completely eliminate them by 2050. Eleni, were you paying any attention to COP26? Were you you heartened? Look, I mean, I'd covered uh, COP17 in South Africa in Durban many years ago. And I can beat you. I covered (laughs) COP6. I covered COP6 in The Hague. Uh, right at the start so of this millennium. You, how, how much has the conversation changed? Let me tell you. You know, over that time when I was covering COP uh, in Johannesburg, in, in Durban, in South Africa, they, the World Bank was funding, had funded the coal-fired power plants for South Africa. And they were saying that you had to pick between industrialization, using your resources, and then saying, okay, how does the climate change gender fit into that conversation? Now, we look at where we are today, and there's a huge shift, especially for emerging economies, where emerging economies need to be greener. They need to be more sustainable at the expense of industrializing. And I thought that was an interesting shift. And I think that that's how serious the conversation is. But we had pushback from India. African countries were saying, well, hang on. We account for 5% of greenhouse gas emissions. Why should we be dropping our greenhouse gas emissions by 40%? Why aren't the big emitters doing the same? So there's inequalities, Robin, with regards to this climate change conversation. And I think we came out of it with, again, you know, leaders trying to figure out, because it's all about these policies that come with it, right? It's the paperwork of how we implement, how we measure what we're doing, who's really going to be committed. And I am worried I don't know if we're on the right path. I think that there's good intention, but I think when it comes to implementation, here's where we fail and there's no room to fail. Um, but I think this was probably one one of the most exciting. I, I really had FOMA. I wish I was there. It would have been a good one to attend. Yeah, Glasgow in autumn, really. But anyway, but inside... <laughs> well, okay, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> inside the conference hall, um, let's hear a bit of that. It was 
quite high drama. I mean, I, I've covered several of these things, and they're usually pretty dull, bunch of you know suited people sitting around in a in a big conference hall. But this did look like quite high drama when the Indian delegate to the conference read out at the very last minute new wording saying we should phase down coal rather than phase out coal, which is what everyone else in the room pretty much thought they'd already agreed. This is what the Swiss delegate had to say, and after her, you'll hear Alex Sharma, the chairman again apologizing for the way things had gone on. Let us be clear, we do not need to face down, but to face out coal and fossil fuel subsidies. May I just say to all uh, delegates, um, I apologize for the way this process has unfolded, um, and uh, I'm deeply sorry. It's also vital that we um, protect this package. Hearing no objections, it is so decided. I was in Greece actually rather than in August and I was on holiday and there were very dramatic scenes of fires playing out on uh, the island of Evia and I quickly flew into Evia to cover these stories and it was absolutely devastating seeing thousands of hectares of pristine forest, untouched forest, being burned to the ground. Um, and this is because of climate change. Greece had seen, for the first time in over 30 years, uh, high temperatures. Uh, it was an extremely hot period in Greece, and it you know, sparked fires. And over that time, it was Greece, it was Italy, Algeria, and other countries in the region. Turkey. That, yeah, Turkey. I mean, the Turkish uh, environment was also, I mean, the, the images were absolutely horrific over that time. And I think that that was such a good... Uh, conversation to have at COP because these events that are completely uncontrollable out of our hands um, are inevitable. And remember the uh, floods in Germany as well. We've had so many devastating climate issues in 2021 that I think it's created so much more urgency for policymakers and for even for business leaders to take climate change a lot more seriously. It played into, and it's one of the stories I chose not to, to pick, um, for, for this episode, but uh, Angela Merkel's, um, the end of her career there and the election in Germany, it played a very big part. I mean, Germany, the German electorate has from for many decades um, been very aware of the environment and the Greens there are, are a very important force, but it's it, it totally mainstream now, the idea that we want a government that's going to get serious about climate change. And I, I wonder, I mean, we could have done a whole episode on extreme weather around the world in 2021. There were those images in a subway in China with people with their heads just above the water. Um, swathes of North America burning like we've never seen before. There was a CNN report I saw about Siberia, one of the coldest places in the world, massive, massive uh, kind of bushfires there everywhere in the world. And, you know, it is just undeniable now. When I was reporting on COP6 in the year, I don't know, 2000. Yeah, when was that? Um, 2000. Okay. It was. It was a lifetime ago. But there was a lot of denialism going on. But, I mean, I don't think anyone's denying this now. This is exactly what was predicted 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, and you know, and, it, and it's happening probably even a bit quicker than we expected it to. You know, maybe COP26, maybe that was a, partly a good news story. I think it was a glass half full story. Let's go to one which 
I picked this one partly because there's some very nice footage or audio from a CNN report, but also because as we as this year comes to an end, this seems to be a big geopolitical story. This is the tension between Russia on one side and Ukraine, and therefore also the West, if you like, NATO and the European Union on the other. There's a troop buildup on the border of the Ukraine. It's happening now. There, there were talks just a few days ago between the presidents of the United States and of Russia. But this uh, CNN report is from April. This was your colleague, Matthew Chance, who accompanied Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky on a visit to troops in eastern Ukraine. How are the soldiers? Are they holding up or are they tired of this war? They are tired, of course. Like any man, you know, during seven years, it, it, it's longer than, than the Second World War. Yes, you see that. And it's terrible. Longer than the Second. With its complex network of dank, muddy trenches, this so-called line of contact, in some places just a few dozen yards from the enemy, Looks more like the First World War. I mean, we've entered this warren of, of trenches that have been dug along the front line. I can tell you, I mean, it's, it's like being thrown back to the early 20th century and, and the Great War. Because I've not seen anything like this in modern warfare. But this is modern the reality of confrontation with Moscow and its proxies. Is there a chance that the Russians could be planning an invasion? Of course, of course, we know it. Uh, beginning from 2014, we know that it can be, it can be anyway, each day, it yeah. can be. So they are ready and, but, but we are also ready because we are on our, on our land, on our territory. This is why Ukraine, the US, and the Western allies are so alarmed. Mid growing tensions, a dramatic buildup of Russian forces near the Ukrainian border. There are many geopolitical fault lines around the world. As a child of the Cold War, I guess, maybe it rings particular alarm bells of someone of my generation. Do you think the kind of Russia versus the West thing is something we should be paying a lot of attention to, Alan? This is definitely going to be one of the most important geopolitical issues that we're probably going to have to look out for. And it's interesting how it really started with a conversation of Belarusia using refugees as ammunition to try and, uh, you know, break through Europe's borders into Poland. That was really interesting. And then suddenly that's where you saw Russia kind of encroaching on uh, Ukraine's border. One thing we've learned from uh, Vladimir Putin is that he is unpredictable. And uh, he's had his eye on Ukraine for a very long time. So I, I would say it's one of those big themes and those big uncertainties and risk factors for 2022. At this point last year, I gave you a little quiz on what were the most Googled things. Decided to avoid that because it's basically all Indian cricket, apparently. I love this so much. I, I mean, I love the fact that everyone was just Googling sports. I mean, it's like getting away from reality. I'm actually not surprised. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. So instead, I've got another quiz for you here. It's a much easier one, a much shorter one. I would like you to guess, Eleni, what was the word of the year? Now, every, all, anyone who does a dictionary does this, but I'm going to start you off with the Oxford English Dictionary. What was their word of the year for 2021? 
So it's a word that they've brought in as a new word? No, it, well, it, I don't know, kind of. I mean, is it even a word, I would say, but yeah. Okay, yeah. This is like a, a real, like this is a real quiz. Um, I think I, it's so funny because as soon as you said that, I, I would think the business community would probably think resilience or agility. That was probably one of the most used words within the business community. Have uh, a guess on the field, you know, guess guess where, what kind of theme might it be about, do you think? Well, I, I would say it's got to be about COVID. There's no way. Yeah, but it's it is. not about COVID. Is it pandemonium? <laughs> it's not i'm going to put you out of your misery the what? word is vax vax v-a-x oh, that, oh that was which, so easy come on yeah well i should have figured it out apparently it's a word so it's not vaccine it's vax because i mean v-a-x right V-A-X, you know have you got yourself vaxed yet apparently it's a it's a thing now people are saying vaxxed you know there's anti-vax obviously and then similarly webster's the uh, u.s dictionary they, they've they've made it much easier for us their word of the year is vaccine so um okay. which they say the word vaccine saw a more than 600 percent increase in lookups this year presumably that's on webster's own oh. uh, dictionary website so people are as well as indian cricket they are looking up vaccine as well eleni Thanks so much for joining us to look through the year. What should people be looking out for, do you think, in 2022? Where are our rays of hope, do you think? Robin, if you had said to me uh, last year that that we would be talking again with me in quarantine and you're recovering from COVID, I would have been like, you're a, you know, you're a doomsayer, you're going mad. <laughs> this is you know, sort of a very bad scenario that you're thinking. And now I've literally been put in my place realizing that uh, we're still very much in the thick of things. Uh, But I I really believe that things are going to change in 2022. There's two things that I believe, that either we're going to learn to live with this and we're going to learn to sort of incorporate the reality of COVID into our lives. And the second thing is that we're hopefully going to find a way to get through this, through vaccines, um, through, you know, new medical um, advances. I still feel optimistic, Robin. Uh, I mean, you know, despite everything that's happened this year, I still feel that, you know, there are so many people working to ensure we get through COVID-19 that it, it gives me hope. On that note, we'll leave it. That was our very selective look at the news of 2021. Eleni Jokos, CNN's Dubai anchor and correspondent. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Yes, thanks to Eleni Jokos and thanks to CNN. Please subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts and check out Meet the Leader and our two new podcasts, Stakeholder Capitalism and Book Club. Please leave us ratings and reviews. And if you want to discuss them with other listeners or with us, please head to the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was written and presented by me, Robin Pomeroy, with studio production by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back in the new year, but for now, thanks to you for listening and goodbye.